Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church, and each week I get to do this. <laughs> it is so fun to welcome you to the show, and it's just a joy to share all of the breakthroughs, all of the insights, all of the information, all of the wisdom that's coming through today. Today, we're at a very different place in history in terms of healing than we've ever been before. We have both all of the all of the traditional healing methods. We have Ayurveda. We have all of the Eastern healing methods that have come to us, acupuncture and the energy systems that have been known and used in healing both in Europe and indigenously and in the East for millennia. And we also now have cutting-edge medical science. I happen to be talking to two scientists this last week who are both really involved in epigenetic research, and they're just so turned on and excited by the potential of tools like gene editing for being one possible solution to some of the, the diseases that have been resistant to any other kind of possible approach for forever since we've known about them and be able to diagnose them. So we both have those kinds of really new medical technologies and we have conventional healing, we have traditional healing, we have ancient healing methods, which we're now researching and discovering play a remarkable role in keeping us well and restoring us to optimal health. So we are at this fantastic juncture in our journey as human beings. And here in High Energy Health, I share with you that leading edge information and how you can apply it to your own life. And I urge you as well to listen to the show with either a pen and paper or a digital device to take notes in hand, because I want you to make notes on what you can apply in your own life. When you have an insight, when you have a, a realization based on some something that a guest says, make a note of it and then think, how can I apply this? What can I do? How can I shift my daily routine? How can I shift my thoughts, my behaviors? Just that one insight sometimes is the leverage point that allows you to up-level your health. So I do this show out of sense of joy and love and passion for these new techniques and old techniques and, and therapies and technologies, and I urge you to apply these things to your life. Also, as you've been seeing, we have some wonderful guest hosts who've been guest hosting various segments over the last year or two. And I am so delighted as I am working with a new generation of upcoming people in this field to let them share this adventure with you, share these insights with you. And so you'll both enjoy the shows I'm doing and also those that are being guest hosted by various other people that make sure either way you make high energy health part of your information diet, part of what you ingest in terms of your consciousness, in terms of 
your focus and it can really make a difference to fill your mind, fill your energy field, fill your life with positive media. I know I had to do some writing yesterday. And so what I did was I just put on some, some really inspirational music, which I know put me in a deep creative space. Then I watched a funny movie with my wife later in the day when I took time off. So what you fill your awareness with, what you fill your consciousness with is going to be what it, the background is for your experience. And you want to fill your consciousness with positive media, positive information, like the show, like all of the other sources of wisdom there are available to you. So thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're here. Bookmark the page. Come back here regularly. There are hundreds of other shows, other archived shows online you can listen to and you can pick them based on your interest levels or what you need to know for your own health. Share them with others. If you know a friend who has anxiety, share one of our anxiety shows with them or our insomnia shows or shows on depression or shows on how to combine conventional and uh, and traditional medicine. Share what you know will work for people in your world. So we love having you here. I'm so glad you're making high energy health part of your regular diet your regular information and consciousness diet, what you're ingesting is going to make a big difference in the outcome and your long-term well-being. I am so delighted to introduce today's guest. Her name is Dr. Tracy Peng. Her website is tracypengmd.com, and she's an integrative psychiatrist and an in-depth healer who lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. She combines conventional and also complementary therapies, and her interests include mindful approaches to psychotherapy, the treatment of anxiety and depression, and also to providing spiritually focused psychotherapy to people with cancer. She is also focused on supporting healers in reimagining the current medical system, which it <laughs> desperately needs. Tracy, welcome and great to have you here. Thank you, Dawson. Wonderful to be here. Let's do some reimagining together, Tracy. <laughs> and first of all, just share with us your own journey, both how you got into the profession of being a conventional medically trained psychiatrist, but then also your interest in all of these other modalities which you're now bringing in to the healing process. Yeah. Well, I'm remembering that my fifth grade job fair where we had to bring in a poster saying what we wanted to be when we grew up that I had written psychologist and I had drawn a picture of someone lying on a couch um, and somebody else sitting there and saying, tell me all your worries. <laughs> in fifth grade, I knew I was going into mental health. I'm also half Chinese on my dad's side. And so you know, in that culture, the acceptable options are, you know, historically be an engineer, be a doctor. So I, there was a lot of, you know, pushing and grooming in that, in those directions. And yeah, so I chose med school. And I think my interest in holistic health and meditation, it really kind of stemmed from my own suffering. I think that's pretty common. I started meditating maybe six to eight months before I started medical school. And, you know, it was funny because somebody took me to a temple, Paramahansa Yogananda, and they were singing a chant. And it was said, door of my heart, open wide, I keep for thee. And I think I knew that something in my heart needed tending to. 
So yeah, that's kind of where the roots were kind of all interconnected, you know, from before I even started medical school. And it just sort of evolved. I started in mainstream medical education. I was really uncomfortable with the pharmaceutical industrial complex. I was very uncomfortable with the way that we were trained to kind of just memorize facts and then regurgitate them. And that's, this was like over 20 years ago. So things have shifted. But at the time, I just felt like this is not healing. This is not teaching about healing. And so I started looking for elective rotations with all of the more fringe sort of doctors and faculty. Ended up doing a rotation learning Traeger method. It's a hands-on type of therapy because we had faculty in the physical therapy department who was teaching that. And then ended up going to India for a rotation and rotating with a hospice physician who practiced Tibetan Buddhist. And those were the times where I just really felt alive. And I felt like, oh, no, maybe I can make it through med school because I didn't always think that I could. And I don't think that's a really uncommon experience for people who go into med school wanting to be a healer as opposed to wanting to be a scientist or wanting to be a researcher. So yeah, it, it's just kind of real. It's just grown and grown and grown. And then I think in residency in psychiatry, I just felt that it was getting better for me, the sense of being more, you know, attuned with my field, more in tune and more kind of compatible, I think, with my field kind of grew. And then what really kind of changed it were two things, being supervised by Elizabeth Targ in my second year of our residency. She was my first psychotherapy supervisor as a second year resident. And she, you know, died in the middle of the year from a brain tumor. She had been studying effects of distant intentionality and prayer on people with glioblastoma multiforme, a type of lethal you know, terminal brain tumor, and then she was diagnosed with it herself. And so that was just a really like shook me pretty deeply. And because she was so open and warm and she was just very different from a lot of the psychiatrists that I had met. And she wasn't doing a lot of the political maneuverings that I was seeing that just seemed very kind of lifeless. She was just kind of following her bliss, kind of her interests and her vision and her inspiration really in a very humane humanistic kind of way so i'm just so grateful that i that i experienced that before she died and then after she died kind of brought up so many questions about life and death and terminal illness and and also you know a lot about prayer and which she had been studying so after that i started went into end of life counselor training that was offered by zen hospice project so frank ostaseski and angie stevens were in training a group of healthcare professionals for a year. And Rachel Remen was on the faculty and Ram Das and a lot of just wonderful, wonderful people, Angelus Arian. And that kind of really, I don't know, it it put things together in a way that was no longer separate. Like, okay, my meditation practice here and my psychiatric practice there. It kind of, I was learning by watching people and being around people where it was a seamless it was just more their way of being. And that really kind of brought me a sense of like settling and like there's a place for me and there's a group of clinicians that feels that same way about not operating from this in psychiatry and mainstream psychiatry, I, you know, the norm now, the business model is, you know, 15 to 20 minute med checks where you try to match the symptom constellation with the drug indication. And it's for the benefit of, you know, the pharmaceutical companies on Wall Street. 
not really, those are sort of the driving forces in it. And I view it as sort of borderline malpractice after being a psychiatrist for over 20 years. Like now I'm just like, oh, that model, it just doesn't, you can, you know, it's not that medications are bad, but they're just, it's not a healing model that will allow you to really see the whole person in all their dimensions. You know, the multidimensional medicine vision or, or perspective is not there in the mainstream business model of, of, of mainstream psychiatry. So it just kind of helped to see people who were just integrated, their spirituality, their meditation practice, their way of being, their kind of, you know, ability to be a whole human was just, it was one movement. And that was really, really helpful. Yeah. And so then I went into integrative psychiatry and it's just grown. I just become more and more myself. And, you know, I don't talk to people. The other thing about the mainstream kind of mental health model, at least in medicine is, you know, I'm the one here with the white coat that has it together. And you are the damaged, you know, kind of person who needs me to fix you because you're kind of effed up. (laughs) And uh, I just like nothing in me resonates with that anymore. Like there's just it's I feel more like the mind works in certain ways and my mind works this way. And often your mind also works that way. And it's just the way the mind works when we're identified with it. So, but it's like, there's a whole human being over here and there's a whole human being over there. And the space between us, in the space between us, healing can occur. And it has a lot more to do with what's in my field that I can offer, experiences I've had, space I can hold, you know, really who I am as a being and my own development as being and how that matches with the person coming to, you know, to to mental health care. So. It was funny, as as I was listening to you say my bio, I was kind of like, huh, do I provide psychotherapy to you know, women with cancer? And do I treat anxiety and depression? Because I was kind of thinking, yeah, yeah, I, I don't really treat anxiety and depression. Like I just, I sit with whole beautiful souls and then things arise that may help with anxiety and depression. Yeah. And I love that phrase you used in the space between us what's going to occur. So rather this model of the person in the white coat who knows it all is then treating this patient who is damaged, that model of sitting there and then seeing what is in that space and then working with what's in that space and then seeing how what's in that space can transform and help the client or the patient you're working with move to the next level of healing. So what a powerful model and idea and concept that is. I'm also so struck, Tracy, by the fact that just from the very, very beginning of your getting into med school, you were close to these influences. You were able to do these rotations with these remarkable people, meet these pioneers, and they certainly carried space around them <laughs> of healing. You're carrying a very powerful legacy there. They showed the way. They really, really showed the way. Yeah. Yeah. And that emphasis on the healing space in which you in which you can have the healing journey rather than the old model of the expert and the person who knows nothing. And then the expert is the one who's who of course has all the power and it is also making all critical decisions. So you're inviting something new to happen. Right. But I mean, it's not that I mean, 20 years of seeing lots of people there, you know, there's a lot there that can come forward, you know, there is something about pattern recognition and, you know, experience that is different from someone who's never treated a patient in their life. So, 
(laughs) Both are true. It's kind of paradoxical. Yes, right. Well, of course, you are bringing your expertise into the, the picture. And one of the things I counsel new practitioners, because I train a lot of EFT practitioners every year, and one of the factors we have to bear in mind with energy healing is people often get into energy healing and they have fantastic breakthroughs and they're just able to resolve all kinds of issues they've never resolved before. I know for me, it was just a a revelation how when I was doing energy therapies for the first like year, I was able to solve personal issues that like 20 years of Gestalt therapy had resolved. And suddenly I was able to shift in all these ways. But then there are times when you need something that is completely conventional. Like one of the things I I faced was that I've had high blood pressure almost my whole adult life. And so I tried every single natural technique, every single nutritional technique, and every single meditative consciousness change technique. And it certainly did help, but I still had high blood pressure. And so eventually I had to go to the doctor. Like, my my doctors are very patient. Let me just experiment for about 10 years. And they said, okay, Dawson, (laughs) it's time for medication. And it was like, okay, so I need to just uh, realize that that's that's where the healing gift is coming in for me here as well. We'll talk more about this when we get back to after our break. So please stay tuned. And again, Tracy's website is tracypengmd.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I am so glad you're here and listening to shows like this and immersing yourself in positive information, positive people, positive experiences, creating a positive mental framework in your own consciousness is something you can do for yourself that has a dramatic effect on your well-being and ultimately, your longevity, it's not as though it's going to damage you irretrievably to have a negative thought every once in a while, but you want to make sure you have ways of releasing them and then filling your mind consciously with those things that are uplifting, that are inspiring, that are positive, like the show and like people, like events you can go to that really will help you make a difference in your life. So I'm so glad you're here, and please make High Energy Health part of your regular routine. For more on Dr. Tracy Peng's work, go to her website, Tracy Peng, MD. I'm going to spell that for you to make sure you get it right. So it's Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, Peng, P-E-N-G, M-D, dot com. And as you can tell, we're having a lot of fun with this deep conversation about what it really means to be on that personal journey of healing and the healing journey with others. Tracy, one of the findings from PTSD research, especially after the uh, the Middle East wars began in 2001, 2002, was that psychiatrists looked in various research studies at why about a third of people who serve in those theaters in those on those battlefields um, get PTSD, and about two-thirds don't. And two-thirds of people are um, having the same experiences, they're seeing all the same terrible things, hearing the same terrible sounds, and yet they do not develop PTSD. One-third do. 
And so one of the big research questions in the early part of the century was, what's the difference between the two-third and the one-third? And the answer turned out to be childhood trauma, that those who had been traumatized as children were much more susceptible to PTSD as adults. And so we're just realizing again how important childhood is. But I'd love to get some examples and insights from you on this in terms of your understanding and also some of the people that you've worked with professionally. Yeah. So my sense is that it's quite common that people with mental health health symptoms do have trauma in their background. I mean, in a sense, life itself is traumatic. We're, we're not get, getting out of here alive. And so that there is, you know, people who have higher symptom burdens, I'm often like mental health symptom burdens, but also physical health symptom burdens, like chronic pain, autoimmune illness, cancer. So there are a lot of studies done on adverse childhood experiences and the way that those adverse childhood experiences can lead, you know, decades later to medical illness as well as mental health illness. A lot of my patients deal with this and, you know, I have my own child trauma issues and my own journey that I'm on. And I know that you've been on a journey with your own childhood trauma. And so it's really common. I think the level of severity for people who seek out psychiatrists is often a bit more. You know, I have one person I've worked with for years who I didn't know what was wrong. Like he came in with a lot of hypochondriacal symptoms, like was always worried about getting illnesses or his children getting illnesses. And it took nine months of sort of weekly visits before it just became clear that he'd been molested by his Catholic priest when he was five. And that led to all sorts of like fears, like that he dropped, he had to drop out of school for, for healthcare related uh, grad school because of fear of developing HIV AIDS. And it just didn't make logical sense until we realized like, oh, there's this issue with trauma in his childhood that led to these specific fears that weren't actually fears of what was going to happen in the future. They were fears related to what had already happened in the past that hadn't been processed or metabolized. And there, so there wasn't really even a clear narrative for him about what happened to him until we started, you know, coming to that material and clarifying it. So yeah, it's so common anxiety, depression, dissociation, PTSD, that people have these experiences in, in their childhood that kind of sets them up for experiencing suffering on a mental level or on a physical level. Yeah, yeah, the two are often linked. And then with a client like that, where do you begin? What do you start with? What do you look for? And where do you, what's your treatment plan? At the beginning, it was complete bumbling. <laughs> come in and say, well, when I was five, this happened. And, you know, they don't have a coherent narrative yet when, when they're new to, to the process. And so often it's just a lot of like, <laughs> you know, until that, you know, the jigsaw puzzle suddenly kind of everything clicks into place and then the picture becomes clear and then it just becomes a lot easier because because I know kind of what to focus on and what direction. So for us, it was initially, it was like he didn't trust anyone to take care of his two young boys. Like he didn't want to leave them the childcare at Sunday school at, you know, Catholic church because he had, was afraid that they would also get molested, but it was very unconscious. So it was just, you know, working on like, do you, is this the church you really want? And, you know, can, can we get some safety in your body such that you can leave your kids with at least a babysitter so that you and your wife can have, you know, a date night. So it's just kind of simple things in the beginning. Uh, safety in your body. What an evocative phrase. Why do you reference the body rather than the mind? 
because the sense of flight freeze in the body is the driver of all the kind of the thought. The thoughts are sort of following the body state. If the body's in fight or flight or freeze, then the mind kind of generates, you know, content to match that. And whereas if the body calms down, then, you know, you kind of have more of a chance of having thoughts that are that match that calm state. I mean, the caveat is some people were, you know, abused, you know, in states of relaxation. Like I have one person I worked with who would be molested as she was going to sleep. And so for her, getting relax a sense of relaxation in the body, and we did it through tapping, actually, through EFT, was felt very dangerous because her body would relax and then she would go, oh my God, I'm going to be violated. And so that, you know, we had to work an extra layer of kind of creating a new groove of relaxation does not necessarily have to be, you know, violation. Relaxation can just be a safe experience. So it's very individual. <laughs> so I don't want to say that there's like, you know, I don't have like a top-down treatment plan. Like you said, like it's organic and it's matched to, you know, each person's way of being and where they are in their development, where they are in their healing. Yeah. And what you're describing too, I'm thinking about brain function when you say that. And what's so powerful is that if you ask the person, they would have said, I am fearful because, but what you're, you're, you're flipping that around and saying, there's a sense of unease, the sense of fight or flight in the body. And then the mind is generating content, content to match. And that's exactly what we see in terms of brain function. In, in brain function, we see that the, the fear centers of the brain in the limbic system, after a while, in people with major depressive disorder, for example, actually rewire themselves to control the prefrontal cortex, the executive center, so that people are having these, these emotions and people have, are having this body unease, and then they're inventing reasons controlled by the emotions with their prefrontal cortex. And so rather than the prefrontal cortex dampening negative emotion, negative emotion is in fact taking over the prefrontal cortex. Uh, the famous brain researcher Joseph Ledoux calls it the hostile takeover of consciousness by emotion. And that's a, a really powerful thing to realize. We say, oh, I am upset or I am scared or I am triggered because of, and we point to something outside of ourselves, but actually it's our emotions that begin first. And then those construct reasons for our brains and minds construct reasons for those feelings. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. It's a pleasure to have you here. And we'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week I lead you on another exciting adventure and journey in wellness and inspiration. Please join me weekly for the show. Bookmark the page, like the page, so that you know to come back to this consistent source of well-being and improving your own health and your own happiness levels. For more on Tracy's work, go to her website, tracypengmd.com. Tracy, during our break, you mentioned a list of components of healing childhood trauma. What are those? I'll read them off 
for you. So I crowdsourced this a little bit with a couple of my patients. So I'm, this is a work in progress. So I'm just, this is sort of a hypothetical list and I'm sure there, there are more. But so the first one is kind of biological help. So a psychiatrist or psychiatric NP or a naturopath or a pain specialist if you have chronic pain or a rheumatologist if you have autoimmune illness, an oncologist if you have cancer, a dietitian or nutritionist even, or a naturopath, many different ways of kind of receiving you know, medical help basically and by on the biological level. The second component we came up with was a talk therapist. So like the patient that I mentioned who didn't have a narrative, being able to kind of tell an accurate narrative is or more or less accurate, a more accurate narrative of your childhood is an important step in the process um, because a lot of people at the beginning don't have an accurate narrative or maybe we'll say they had a happy childhood and then when you kind of get specifics, it doesn't sound that way, unfortunately. But so the caveat with this is that you want to name the narrative accurately in order to release it, not to become identified with it and be, oh, I'm a victim. And, you know, it's not just be able to tell the accurate narrative you know, once <laughs> and then <laughs> let go of it ideally. And the third component we came up with was a, a mind-body practice. So something like mindfulness meditation or yoga, qigong. Some people do trauma-releasing exercises, so there are many. And then fourth one, a hands-on body worker. So because a lot of the trauma in my experience is stored in the tissues and in kind of muscular tension patterns in the fascia. So craniosacral therapists, that's, that's a subtype of osteopathic man, uh, manual manipulation. Or a Traeger method, like what I learned in med school, Rosen methods, so there are lots of hands-on body workers. But, you know, you got to kind of be careful and vet your body worker because, you know, boundaries, <laughs> boundaries and safety are important. So, you know, getting recommendations from people that you know and trust who have had positive experiences with the body worker is important. The fifth thing is access to the energy body or the subtle body or the astral body are also other names for it. So EFT is one way, right, to tap your energy meridians. But acupuncture also kind of affects the energy meridians or just straight up you know, a, a talented energy healer that's trustworthy or a Reiki master. These things uh, can be really helpful. The next two are more sort of like internal components that predispose to being able to heal childhood trauma. First one being willingness to change, grow, and be in unfamiliar territory. That's actually a big component of being able to heal childhood trauma because sometimes people, you know, even though they know it doesn't work and it's very toxic, they cling to what's familiar. And then the second one, which is number seven overall, is fundamental well-being, access to a sense of fundamental well-being in your brain and in your body. So that's just sort of, you know, this field of quiet, like you, you might think of at a, at a yoga class, if you've ever been in Shavasana at the end and just had the mind recede and calm down and you're awake, there's a deep restfulness that's sort of the background experience that becomes more foreground. So a, you know, an evolving experience of fundamental well-being can be very healing for the parts that have been wounded. And then number eight, which was added by a patient of mine, which I love, is safe places, safe spaces. And she was saying with animals, nature, creative spaces, retreats, places of peace, 
and even like hairdressers, manicurists, coffee shops, just places where you feel that you are safe among other humans can be very healing when you've been hurt by other humans. And then the ninth one in that sort of vein is groups that help with collective trauma. So 12-step groups, support groups, grief groups, cancer groups, those are helpful. And then the 10th one, which I have to say, even though you know I, it, it's painful, is you need the resources to afford all these things. I mean, some of them are free, like 12-step uh, groups are free. And sometimes, you know, being in nature and being with animals can be free. But, you know, a talk therapist, a medical doctor, a nutritionist, training in mind-body practices, a body worker, acupuncturist, all of these things usually are expensive. And in our country with its history of, you know, enslavement of people of color and legalized economic terrorism, that means often the people that have the resources to afford all of this or, you know, afford all of this on a regular basis are white people. We have work to do in terms of democratizing these resources. Absolutely. Yeah. In that vein, one of my favorite charities, the one that I donate to every year, and uh, I, I support in various other ways, is called Capacitar. And they got going during the Guatemalan Civil War in the 1980s. And they have been delivering energy healing techniques in um, initially in Central America. Then they began working in Palestine. They began working in parts of Africa. They began working in conflict zones, working in, in Ukraine at the moment. And the beauty of it is that these therapies are expensive. But what they're training people to do is peer-to-peer -peer delivery of these therapies. And in my book, The Gene in Your Genes, Tracy, there's an image that I just, my favorite photograph of the whole book is a group of women in Guatemala, and they're sitting in a, a really barren hut. That's really all they have. They have almost no possessions in, the, in this very barren space, but they're all smiling broadly, and they're all tapping. <laughs> So it's wonderful to see how these therapies have been used in Rwanda extensively since the genocide there. And so we're finding that they have been making their way into all kinds of areas like that. So yeah, they are for rich white people in the, in the developed countries, but uh, they are making a huge amount of difference in various parts of the world that are really off the radar of most people. But we help support the, the work of this charity in various ways every year because there, there are ways of delivering these therapies. And a lot of, many of them, not all of them, obviously, Pod, delivered, you know, things like hands-on massage to everyone, but a lot of energy therapies are that way. So so democratization is, is proceeding despite <laughs> the difficulty of, of spreading them. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. For more on Tracy's work, go to her website, which is tracypengmd.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm so grateful you're here. And I'd like to ask you to make listening to the show and being in a positive energy environment part of your regular practice. Make choices that support your well-being. Pick people, pick events, pick music, pick books, pick shows, pick media that really do support your, your fundamental well-being. This show is my contribution to that process. 
Make sure you bookmark the page and come back every week for more. We also have some exciting new shows coming up and some exciting new guest hosts who are guest hosting the program occasionally as well. So there's always something that is going to help you shift and give you insights here at High Energy Health, which is why I encourage you to listen with pen and paper or device to make notes because you can find things that are really going to, if you implement them in your life, make a huge difference. So thanks for being here now and make treating yourself well a habit. Tracy, I'm so curious if we were to look at the, the Tracy Peng who walked into Pramahansa Yogananda's Self-Realization Fellowship and heard that chant and had that insight to the Tracy Peng of today and your healing journey. I'd love to hear about that and how those two versions of Tracy differ from each other. Oh, wow. I mean, in some ways, I'm a different person, I would say. Meditation, being in community, you know, learning how to move energy, coming out of a numbness in my own body, they've all been sort of a journey, like practices and, you know, part of a, a journey of sort of development and growth. I would say a big learning for me was about 10 years ago, I started having debilitating back pain, like sacroiliac joint pain, and really didn't understand what was going on, never had had medical illness before, and learned so much about my body, about inhabiting this vessel, you know, which had really gone numb, you know, through Western training, medical school, residency, you know, you're, you're trained to ignore the body and its signals. And to come out of that through a pain journey was, you know, such a curriculum. I really treated it as grad school in a way of just like, I'm going to have to pay tuition and, you know, take all these classes. And so I was in therapeutic yoga classes that had ropes in it. I, you know, was really debilitated for about, I think, nine months before I finally kind of had a meditation where I went into a meditative state. And the word craniosacral <laughs> spelled itself out in gold letters. And I was like, oh, I guess I need to get a craniosacral. And that really did help me come back into being able to function physically and to not be in pain. So there's something about, you know, being able to sense what's going in my, on in my body, my physical body, my energy body that kind of tells me what needs attention and tells me where I need to go next or what I need to do in a certain situation. Also in my heart, actually my heart is where my intuition registers now that my heart is cleared out more <laughs> than it was back when I first encountered Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings for the first time. Now I tend to ask my heart, like, should I do this or that? And I get a very binary, you know, response usually. That's how I met you, Dawson. <laughs> it's like, should I do the short path? No, yes, yes, really? <laughs> oh, so yeah, it's developed into a more, I guess, a flowing way of navigating life. And just the joy of working with my patients every day. Like I love my little flock of people that I support and, you know, getting to hold space for their sacred healing process is such an honor. Like, I, I just, I can't believe I get to do that work of, you know, and less and less do I have people who just kind of want to like 
tell me all the things that are painful in their lives. I mean, often at the beginning, that's kind of what it is. But I have less and less people where that's where that's how they utilize me. I have more people now who are like, you know, telling me what they're doing to, like you said, support themselves to to nurture themselves so that they have more of a, of a chance of sensing into fundamental well-being and more kind of a sense of like, okay, I'm going to utilize Pang in this way in this session and, you know, get what I need out of this session to move myself to the next step. I have less people who are like just recycling the same old, you know, laundry list of you know it's I don't think that's that helpful like actually deepens the groove <laughs> and so I you know I don't like to watch people just spin their wheels like I'm like if I have a plank in my energy field that I can put down to get you out of that ditch I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna teach you how to have you can borrow mine until you have your own but I, I don't really like sit back and just watch people spin their wheels it's it's very unsatisfying <laughs> Tell the same old story they've told the previous 10 therapists. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, borrowing my plank until you develop your own is a really good one because having a person who is wise, understanding, present is powerful. And then you can model that for a while. They're your, your template for a while, but it's in the process of building, building your own plank. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, like I have one lady that I'm working with who she has a really strong intuition. She just was trained from early on to override it. And so it's just kind of like, take that off. And like, what are the signs that the intuition, you know, how does your intuition work for you? And how do you learn to recognize that signature of like, oh, that's what I should do? Yeah, absolutely. And with training and using it often, you develop it more and become stronger. Tracy, you are such an inspiring human being. I'm so grateful that you've been here and shared your wisdom with me and with everyone else. I'm so grateful. Thank you for being here and doing the work you do. Oh, I feel the same about you, Dawson. And it's so striking that as you've shifted and changed in your own journey, you're attracting clients and patients uh, that match, <laughs> that can benefit from you most. So as inside, so around us. And it's a powerful principle that, that manifests. You've been listening to High Energy Health. I've been so grateful you've been here. Make sure you bookmark the page. Join me every week. Thanks again. Till next week, be healthy, be happy, be blessed. Mm -hmm.